from deep inside your audio device of choice. This is about the one time a year when that opening has temporal value, or at least relevance, because it uh, the the very beginning of it comes from an old New Year's Eve broadcast. That's here it is refers to a new year. The beep refers to the fact that it was midnight, but here it is refers to a a, a new year of bornin'. And that's what we got, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome, if nobody's yet done that to you, to 2019. Going to be a good one, isn't it? Uh, I, in fact, it's going to be a particular kind of a year. Um, here in the United States, of course, we look forward either to um, continued partial shutdown of the federal government. I'm getting on a plane, and I hope there's a TSA person there. Never said that before, but, you know, uh, and so we're either looking forward to uh, a continuation of that partial shutdown or a resolution of the situation or not. Over in the United Kingdom, our friends in Great Britain, there'll be a vote in a couple weeks on the supposed agreement between the British government and the European Union on Britain's exit from the European Union. And uh, Parliament will either vote that up or not. And if they vote it down, the uh, government of the United Kingdom will have a, uh, a backup plan or not. So welcome to 2019, the year of or not. And welcome or not to the show.
From New Orleans, Louisiana, I'm Harry Shearer welcoming you to this edition of the show. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're not number one. Oh, we so are not number one. Uh, This from the Spectator Index, put out by source, is Freedom House. Freedom level. Just freedom level. You know, not a big deal. Just how, how free nations are in, in the world we live. And um, 100 is most free, you see. So um, who's at 100? Finland. Damn Finland again. Top of the chart every time. Top of the chart to you, ladies and gentlemen. I know it's, it's bad weather. It's cold. It's small, too close to Russia, really, but freest country in the world, in the world, Finland, 100. Right behind him, Canada, Canada, 99. You could be, you could be in the freest, well, the second freest country in the world, just by skipping across the border, assuming you live in the United States. Uh, yeah, I'll get to us in a minute. What's the f- unfreest country in the world? Well, North Korea is close. They're at three on a scale of 100. It doesn't really surprise anyone who pays attention. It may, might surprise a certain president, but China, China is at 14. Russia's at 20. Syria is, by this measure, from Freedom House. If they don't know about freedom, I guess they know about houses. That would be the only... Syria is at zero. There's zero freedom on this measurement, on this metric. So let's not go there. Below Canada, Canada. Japan is at 96. Germany, 94. France, the French, are at 90. Italy at 89. And then, number seven, the United States of America at 86. So we're, we're better than Turkey or Nigeria or Russia. Better than India. Little better than South Korea. They're at 84. But Finland, ladies and gentlemen, I say again to you, with all the Sincerity, I'm able, able to uh, simulate. Finland, okay? We are not, needless to say. We are not number one. And now, ladies and gentlemen, let's follow the dollar. You remember the uh, tax cut? bill passed by the uh, Trump Trump administration just about a year ago, a little more than a year ago. Uh, One of the things that was uh, said about the tax cuts involved in in the bill, they were going to cut the tax rate for multinational companies that had been stashing cash abroad to avoid U.S. taxes. And they were going to allow those companies to bring the money back, that is to say, repatriate the money, 
at a lower tax rate. And that money was going to come back, and that was going to be invested in new plant and equipment, creating new jobs. It was going to raise the, the boats. It was going to trickle down and raise the boats. That was the plan. Reuters now reports U.S. companies have indeed sent home over half a trillion dollars of cash they held overseas to take advantage of that tax change. Data suggests the pace is slowing, potentially removing a key source of support for Wall Street. What does Wall Street have to do with it? Explain it. Dollar repatriation fell to $93 billion, about half of second quarter, less than a third of the $300 billion or so sent home from January to March. The change offered a powerful incentive, as I mentioned, to bring home some of the three trillion U.S. firms we're holding in jurisdictions ranging from Ireland to Switzerland. There's more to Ireland than that, but not, not much, either in cash or in U.S. Treasury bonds. J.P. Morgan says the flows are on a, quote, rapidly decelerating trajectory, unquote. Now, the reason that uh, we don't know why they're slowing down, the um, data from the U.S. Treasury International Capital shows Treasury bond holdings falling in locations known as low-tax jurisdictions. Tax havens! Shrinking repatriation, Reuters explains, is likely to affect markets because what the money was really used for was not investing in new plant and equipment and creating new jobs. It was invested in companies buying back shares of their own stock. This year, sorry, last year, it was a record $1 trillion in share buybacks. Why do they buy back their own shares? Drives up the stock price. Why do they want that? Because the executives at the top of those companies have much of their income tied to the stock price. The Federal Reserve paper, looking at the use of repatriated cash, concluded it had significantly enhanced buybacks, effectively placing a floor under stock markets. Market without a floor, ladies and gentlemen. A lot of rutabaga going to fall, fall straight to China, I guess. Follow the dollar. And uh, speaking of which, this week, <laughs> President Trump had a, a, a an impromptu press conference with uh, a um, either a retinue of mute stooges or members of his cabinet, I couldn't quite tell which it was, um, while he rambled on about this and that. And uh, one of the things he, he discursed upon was um, the charge by some Democrats in, in, commenting on the um, issue at stake in this uh, partial shutdown of the federal government that more than a billion dollars, maybe two billion, had been appropriated by Congress for border security in previous years, in the last two previous years that this administration was in office, and that money hadn't been spent yet, so why did the why was the administration forcing a shutdown over more money when it hadn't spent the money it had already been appropriated? The president uh, delivered kind of an answer 
to that question. Again, a lot has already been done. You know, we've been getting money in. Somebody said that we didn't spend the money. Well, we have spent it, but we don't pay contractors before they finish the job. That's one of the other things that Pat and I sort of instituted. We like to have people do the work. So if we're building a wall, we're paying as they build it. We pay it when it's finished. So they do a good job. This way, if they don't do a good job, we don't pay them. So not all of the money has been paid, but the money has been used. So maybe you guys can remember that when you say that I haven't spent the money. We spent the money. Money has been paid. It hasn't been used. We pay them as they build it, but we pay it at the end, you see. For context, we go way back to June 2016 when USA Today reported that then-candidate Trump was involved in more than 3,500 lawsuits over three decades involving people who say Trump or his companies refused to pay them. 60 lawsuits and other government filings reviewed by USA Today document people who accused Trump and his businesses of failing to pay them for their work. A dishwasher in Florida, a glass company in New Jersey, a carpet company, a plumber, painters, 48 waiters, dozens of bartenders, other hourly workers at his resorts and clubs, real estate brokers who sold his properties, and several law firms at once represented him in these suits. Trump's companies were also cited for 24 violations of the Fair Labor Standards Act since 2005 for failing to pay overtime or minimum wage, according to the Department of Labor. That's 21 citations against the Trump Plaza in Atlantic City and three against the out-of-business Trump Mortgage LLC in New York. Both cases resolved by the companies agreeing to pay back wages after, you know, there were more than 200 mechanics liens filed by contractors and employees against Trump, his companies, or his properties, claiming they were owed money for their work since the 1980s. Some 75000 for a uh, air conditioning company in New York, in Plainview, New York. How's the view there? Plain. To a uh, $1 million claim from the president of a New York City real estate banking firm. On the Taj Mahal Casino in Atlantic City, the New Jersey Casino Control Commission reported in 1990 at least 253 subcontractors weren't paid in full or on time, including workers who installed walls, chandeliers, and plumbing. If a company or worker isn't paid fully, said Trump and his daughter Ivanka in an interview with USA Today, it's because the organization was unhappy with the work. See? They, want, they, want, they pay them, but they don't pay them until the... Let's say they do a job that's not good or a job they didn't finish or a job that was way late. I'll deduct from their contract. Absolutely, said Trump. That's what the country should be doing, unquote. So the money was spent because it hasn't been spent. Because the work... You got that? Now get this. Oh, stop the lullas. It's time for news of smart houses, ladies and gentlemen. And um, this is from the BBC about uh, another way you can be bothered by smartness. Thousands of hot tubs can be hacked and controlled remotely because of a hole, no, not in the tub, in their online security. You could see the hole in the tub. Come on. 
No, in their online security. This is reported by the BBC. Researchers showed how an attacker could make the tubs hotter or colder or control the pumps and lights via a laptop or even just a smartphone. This is so smart, isn't it? How, How much smarter could things possibly be? Well... Let me tell you more about this, and then you'll you'll have a way of deciding. Vulnerable tubs. <laughs> That's if that ain't a name for a punk band, I don't know what is. The vulnerable tubs are designed to let their owners control them with an app, but third-party Wi-Fi databases mean hackers can t- home in on specific tubs by using their GPS location data. There's a company called Balboa Water Group (BWG). They run the affected system. They've pledged to introduce a more robust security system for owners, saying the problem would be fixed by the end of February. Britain will be out of the EU before these tubs are fixed, ladies and gentlemen. The security company that carried out the research warned that hot tubs were not the only household items at risk. Really? You think? Founder Ken Monroe of Pentest Partners said many Christmas gifts people received this year would connect to the Internet and offer remote control through apps. And he restates what you've heard on this broadcast, most recently from Bruce Schneier, quote, manufacturers still are not taking security seriously enough, and until they do, consumers have to be very vigilant, unquote. It's on you, is what he's saying. It's on us. And of course, quote, we recommend users reset any default passwords the device has immediately with a unique one of their own, unquote. So you don't have enough passwords to remember now already with your computer and your thing and your laptop and your phone and your watch. <laughs> now you need to remember to change the password for your hot tub. Hot tub! The researchers found that information found on public resources known as war-driving databases. They didn't tell us about this when they told us about the information superhighway, did they? Did, did Al Gore mention War-driving databases, they could be used to hijack the equipment without the need of any other kind of authentication. BWG, the researchers, said they'd been surprised to learn of the flaw as the app had been available for five years. During that time, users had not reported any problems. Of course, Internet-connected hot tubs haven't been available for five years. I said, hot tubs! BWG, the company that... uh, developed the insecure, unrobust system, says it's working with more than 1,000 owners in the U.K. and others globally to set up a system of individual usernames and passwords to secure the online controls. Just more passwords for you to change. You've changed the passwords in your smart lights already, of course. It had not previously worked with the owners, I just mentioned, because it had wanted to, quote, allow for simple and easy use and activation. That is to say, use the default password. Don't bother us. This, according to the researchers, had been, quote, irresponsible. It takes away consumer choice and it takes away users' right to privacy and security. He, say, he said. He acknowledged it was not the most serious Internet of Things vul- vulnerability. Oh, no, I'm sure electric systems heating systems, air conditioning systems are more serious. Hot tubs, let's let's agree, are a bit jocular to have put in 
control of a malicious stranger. But uh, it's still worth bringing to the public's attention. Quote, a hacker could figure out if you're in the tub at the time. Blowers are only turned on when someone is in the tub. So hackers could figure that out, which is creepy. Consumer uh, Internet of Things security, says the researcher, is not in a good place. These findings underline that. It is, ladies and gentlemen, your choice to have a smart house. It's a smart... mm. And now, news from the land of 15,000 princes, our friends in Saudi Arabia. Well, there's an um, American comedian named Hassan Minhaj whose Netflix comedy special, Patriot Act, was pulled off the air by Netflix in Saudi Arabia. The episode blasted Saudi Arabia over the killing of Jamal Khashoggi and the country's role in the Yemen civil war. Netflix removed it after the Saudi government made a request alleging the content violated anti-cybercrime rules. Saudi Arabia's law prohibits, quote, the production, preparation, transmission, or storage of material impinging on public order, religious values, public morals, and privacy on the Internet. The decision drew outrage from Khashoggi's former editor at the Washington Post and the director of Human Rights Watch. Minhaj took aim at Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, or Mohammed Bonesaw, some of us call him, who many have hailed as a reformer. It blows my mind that it took the killing of a Washington Post journalist for everyone to go, oh, I guess he's not really a reformer, Minhaj said. Saudi Arabia is ranked 169th on a list of 100 countries in Reporters Without Borders World Press Freedom Index, saying the level of self-censorship in Saudi Arabia is extremely high. The Internet is the only space where freely reported information and views may be able to circulate in that country, albeit at great risk to the citizens or journalists who post online. The trial of 11 individuals over the murder of Khashoggi has begun in the Saudi capital, and there's a story about that on the BBC website. Um, But to me, you know, I always look at the end of the story to see where the the key information may be. Um, Reports up above, prosecutors have asked the death penalty for five of the defendants, uh, prosecutors say it's a rogue operation by agents sent to persuade Khashoggi to return to Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia has refused Turkey's request to extradite 18 subjects for trial in Turkey, including eight, uh, 15 agents who Turkey says flew to Istanbul to carry out the killing. Little information was released by state media, other than that the first session of the court hearing has begun. But then, way at the bottom... No names of the defendants have been released. So it's, it's possible there aren't any, that the whole story of the trial, which is not public, is um, how you say fabrication in Arabic. Saudi Arabia, meanwhile, is allegedly, or reportedly, not allegedly, reportedly outsourcing its war in Yemen to be fought in large part by child soldiers from Sudan. 
New York Times' David Kirkpatrick says the Saudis are dipping into their deep pockets to bankroll a militia of Sudanese fighters, many of them children, to fight on the front lines against Yemen's Houthi rebels, thus insulating Saudi Arabia from casualties and the political blowback they could cause. There's no political blowback, apparently, in Saudi Arabia for buying child mercenaries. That's the way it goes in the land of 15,000 princes, our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia. Faço samba e amor Até mais tarde E tenho muito sono de manhã Escuto a correria da cidade Que arde E apressa o dia de amanhã Madrugada a gente ainda se ama E a fábrica começa a buzinar O trânsito contorna nossa cama Reclama Do nosso eterno espreguiçar No colo da bem-vinda companheira No corpo do bendito violão Eu faço samba e amor A noite inteira Não tenho a quem Prestar satisfação Eu faço samba e amor Até mais tarde E tenho muito mais O que fazer Cidade que alarde Será que é tão difícil amanhecer? Não sei se preguiçoso ou se covarde Debaixo do meu cobertor de Faço samba e amor Até mais tarde E tenho muito sono
from New Orleans, this is Le Show. And ladies and gentlemen, we get back now to um, matters involving <laughs> President Trump. Um, at, again, at that uh, impromptu press conference with the uh, cabinet members playing the role of extras, uh, he, he, he said this. I get along very well with India and Prime Minister Modi, but he's constantly telling me he built a library in Afghanistan. Okay, a library. That's like, you know what that is? That's like five hours of what we spend. And he tells it, and he's very smart. And we're supposed to say, oh, thank you for the library. I don't know who's using it in Afghanistan, but it's one of those things. It sure is, except it's, it's really another one of those things. According to uh, the Hindustan Times, it's, uh, it's not a library. It's the Parliament Building. India built it in Kabul. It's considered a crowning achievement of India's reconstruction efforts in Afghanistan. Officials have not found the library that Trump cited. That angered India and confused it, that the reference. Officials tried hard to find that library he was referring to. Even the most experienced of India's Afghan hands couldn't recall one. India's been proud of all the many reconstruction projects and works undertaken in Afghanistan, starting within days of the fall of the Taliban government in 2001. But it's uh, proud of the Parliament House as part of the uh, reconstruction effort worth three to five billion. Well, that ain't rupees. But that, you know, India has not built a library in Afghanistan, according to officials who have served long stints there. They went back to their books from time to time, make sure they did not miss it. Nothing came up. So, no. No library there. India, as I say, has committed close to $3 billion to various development projects. New Delhi also trains Afghan military officers in India, but doesn't send its own soldiers to the war-torn country. India has donated light helicopters and vehicles, provided military training, building roads, and financed a hydroelectric dam project worth $300 million and offers 1,000 scholarships each year to Afghan students. That's what India does. But also, India, along with Russia, China, and Iran, is involved in projects that may lead to... Um, Mining investments in Afghanistan. Um, apparently, the <laughs> president is not yet aware of uh, those involvements. Well, I think India should be involved in Afghanistan. I, I mean, I'll give you an example. You, you can talk about our generals. I gave our generals all the money they wanted. They didn't do such a great job in Afghanistan. <clears throat> They've been fighting in Afghanistan for 19 years. General Mattis thanked me profusely for getting him $700 billion. He couldn't believe it. General Mattis thanked me even more the following year when I got him $716 billion. He couldn't believe it. But General Mattis was so thrilled. But what's he done for me? How has he done in Afghanistan? Not too good. Not too good. I'm not happy with what he's done in Afghanistan, and I shouldn't be happy. But as you know, President Obama fired him. And essentially, so did I. I want results. We're going to do something that's right. We are talking to the Taliban. We're talking to a lot of different people. But here's the thing. India is there. 
Russia is there. Russia used to be the Soviet Union. Afghanistan made it Russia because they went bankrupt fighting in Afghanistan, Russia. So you take a look at other countries. Pakistan is there. They should be fighting. But Russia should be fighting. The reason Russia was in, in Afghanistan was because terrorists were going into Russia. They were right to be there. The problem is it was a tough fight. And literally, they went bankrupt. They went into being called Russia again, as opposed to the Soviet Union. You know, a lot of, a lot of these places you're reading about now are no longer part of Russia because of Afghanistan. But why isn't Russia there? Why isn't India there? Why isn't Pakistan there? Why are we there and we're 6,000 miles away? But I don't mind. We want to help our people. We want to help other nations. I think I would have been a good general, but who knows? I think I know. I think I do know. Um, well, that was, that's a lot to unpack, as they say on the, uh, on the cable networks. But, um, yeah, why aren't, why aren't the Russians in Afghanistan with troops? That would be a good idea, again. Um, I think he means the war that Russia fought in Chechnya, where there was terrorist action in the late 90s and early 2000s. But who knows? He could have been a good general. Meanwhile, back at America's longest war, Taliban fighters are threatening major oil wells near a northern Afghan city. Did you know there was oil in Afghanistan as well as a lot of other minerals? Minerals? Yes, there is. Days of fighting, dozens of members of the security forces killed and wounded, according to Reuters. The security situation in Sa'arpul province is alarming, said a spokesman for the provincial government. We've had promises reinforcements would be sent to the city, but nothing has been done yet. Taliban has been launching major attacks for some time with the aim of securing these oil fields. They were developed, as it happens, during the Soviet presence in Afghanistan. The uh, loss of the wells would would deliver a blow to the government and bolster Taliban finances, adding to revenues from taxation mining, mining they're doing, the Taliban, along with the Indians and the Russians and the Iranians, Iranians, sorry, and opium, of course. They get a lot of money from opium. Who doesn't, really, when you stop to think about it? Yes, well, that's that's, uh, how America's longest war looks from at least part of here. How does it look from over there? From Afghanistan Public Radio, where donors never influence our coverage unless they insist. From the abandoned American television truck in downtown Kabul, where the nightlife starts at 10 and ends just before 11. <laughs> I'm Mahmoud. And I'm Hamid. We're Tick and Tack, the Stop It Brothers. Welcome to 2019's first edition of Karzai Talk. Today's program comes to you with the assistance of the Taliban Foundation, reminding you the first rule for winning is sticking around. <laughs> <laughs> well, my younger brother, mm-hmm. did you have an enjoyable New Year's Eve? Oh, yes. The wife and I uh, watched the Dick Clark special. And wait, then... wait, wait, wait. Dick Clark is no longer among those of us who self-identify as the living. It's true, mm-hmm. but Ryan Seacrest gives my wife the creeps, so we watch an old tape. Ah. You know, if you ignore the big year number on the screen, it could almost be live. Although the tape probably is not high def. My dear younger brother, 
in this entire country, nothing is high def. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. At times, I think we're lucky to have any def at all. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, you are on Cars Night Talk. Hello, this is Narendra, a long-time uh, Prime Minister of India, first-time caller. Mm, Mr. Prime Minister, it's always nice to know that uh, our audience, although small, is uh, highly influential. Mm -hmm. It allows us to... Uh, Get money of a higher class of foundation. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, sir, welcome. Thank you. Unlike certain other neighboring countries I could mention, <laughs> we've always regarded that India as playing the role of a helpful neighbor. Well, in all honesty, the, the role of the sinister neighbor was already taken by Pakistan. <laughs> <laughs> it's the role they were born to play. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well, I, I, but I did want to call mm. in the wake of the American president's criticism of our contribution to your country. Oh, Mr. <laughs> Prime Minister, I haven't uh, cared about what an American president says since uh, George W. Bush gave me the nickname Hamhead. <laughs> that wasn't your nickname. Oh. It was just the closest he could come to pronouncing your first name. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, we hope you are enjoying the parliament building we helped uh, build. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's an excellent building, yeah. uh, though I hear rumors the mace is decomposing. Oh, that is unfortunate. No, it's not so bad. Nobody knew what to do with it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> My brother suggested the kitchen could use it in soup, but they told him that that's, that's a, a whole, whole other, other mace. mace. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, but Mr. Trump's uh, comment, well, unfortunate as well as uh, completely mistaken, mm -hmm. did raise an interesting uh, question, mm -hmm. namely, should we build you a library? Well, if you ask me, we really could use a state-of-the-art lot for pre-owned Toyotas. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you have to excuse my brother, Mr. Prime Minister. Mm -hmm. He tends to let his own business interests take precedence over everything else. Mm -hmm. It's true. He trained me well. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, I would say that a national library would be a splendid addition to our capital city's CBD. Mm -hmm. uh, that would, would be your... Central Bombing District. <laughs> <laughs> but to be fair, mm -hmm. I think you know from your experience with the Parliament building, it is a long process. Oh, yes. Assembling the piece of land, mm -hmm. uh, deciding which warlords deserve a piece of the construction contract. And which uh, warlords to pay off for not getting a piece. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, while all that is going on, mm -hmm. uh, you could initiate a good first step. Mm -hmm. And that would be... Uh, Get us a quantity of books. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I know we just uh, confiscated a few thousand copies of the graphic novel edition of the Kama Sutra. Uh, that's great, but I think he means many different books. Mm -hmm. <laughs> of course. Well... Uh, let me work on it. And in the meantime, of course, you could send us a new mace. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the call. Oh, very nice man. Yes, like a Pakistani without all the fuss. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, you're on cars like that. You know, usually, like at uh, Fox News especially, they put me on the air right away, but oh. that's okay. Mm. This is Donald. I don't think I have to say anything else. <laughs> Maybe just that uh, I've accomplished more in the first two years of anything than anyone ever in the history of two years. Mr. President, it is an honor to have to talk to you. Uh, this is Hamid, sir, former 
president of this country. You see, then again, I don't really talk to former anything. You know, Mitt Romney would be very, very good at that. He's a former something. But I did want you and your, more importantly, your audience mm-hmm. to know that when, when I ordered 7,000 of our troops withdrawn from your country, mm-hmm. in no way was that a knock or a slam on Afghanistan because it, I, because it really wasn't. As a matter of fact, I hear from so many people, it's a beautiful country, terrific country, mm-hmm. maybe like one of the best in your area. Oh, well, that's very nice of you well, to say, sir. I think one of the reasons there's any concern about the withdrawal yeah, now yeah. is that there were certain conversations going on with the Taliban. For example, we were discussing an order for two dozen tundras. <laughs> and so the reduction military pressure might embolden them yeah. to... Do what they do when troops come in and when troops come out. That's the thing about fanatics. They don't need emboldening. <laughs> Look, we've been there 17, 19, who knows how many years yeah. now. Mm-hmm. What have we gotten? Well, oil. We didn't even get the oil out of Iraq, and that was like the no-brainer of all time. I mean, Iraq, right? Right. Mm. It's just sitting there, the oil. Mm. Now the Kurds have it, and that takes off the Turks. We should have taken it. I can tell you that. But now look, you should just let the Taliban fight ISIS. They'll knock each other out, and you'll just sit there in your great, big, beautiful country. Uh, so, Mr. President, mm-hmm. are you saying the rest of your troops are going to leave soon as well? Because well, they'll never get a better deal on a new Camry than they will for me. Oh, you have to excuse him, Mr. President. He has the soul of a salesman. Uh, it didn't do too bad for me, right? I mean, biggest win in the history of elections. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you'll never hear about that from the fake historians, which is okay. But mm-hmm. look, fellas, yes. I've got Ainsley Earnhardt on the other line. She's on Fox News. I think she's the reason they call it Fox. <laughs> I happen to think she's hotter than a $3 Zippo. So just, just know that America is with you. The rest of the troops will be coming out, mm. but it's a process. Mm-hmm. Nobody's saying now mm-hmm. or next week mm-hmm. or ever. Nobody's saying anything, okay? Okay, Mr. President. Thanks for the call. We had help today from the Afghanistan Legion. All veterans, no administration. <laughs> <laughs> Legal services for cars I talk from the law firm of Ketchum and Newcomb. I'm Mahmoud. And I'm Hamid. Join us next time we say that's all for this edition of Cars I Talk. This is APR, Afghanistan Public Radio. Well, now you just didn't look and left the number one. Only thing you worry about is having your fun. But it's time of trouble, baby, and it's understood. Necessarily mercenary. You, a secret agent with a hidden agenda, got me in your sights like I'm a real big spender. Step around, baby, pretty soon you're gonna see. I ain't got no money, but my love is free. You're so very unnecessarily mercenary.
of the godly. And so much of it this week, the Archdiocese of New York has initiated new review procedures for its letters of recommendation. This happened after a California university said the diocese had lied about the past allegations of sexual abuse by a priest in upstate New York. An official of John Paul the Great Catholic University in Escondido, it's uh, Spanish for lost, by the way, told a, uh, a Middletown, New York newspaper she was shocked to learn about allegations against the Reverend Donald Timon, who's been a visiting priest at the college for several years. The archdiocese had provided a letter of suitability stating the 84-year-old Timon was qualified to serve as a priest and had never been accused of any act of sexual abuse or sexual misconduct involving a minor. The uh, university's vice president, Lisa Connolly, said she didn't know the archdiocese had, in fact, reopened a 15-year-old investigation of sexual abuse allegations until she read recent media reports. She says, I'm shock- in shock they would write the letter. Everyone who got that letter was lied to. The Vatican also knew about uh, something else that was going on for several years that uh, just now comes to light. This is the uh, activities of um, Reverend... Uh, Father Marcel Maciel, who is uh, the disgraced founder of the Legionnaires of Christ in uh, Mexico, uh, going as far back as 1943, they knew. They knew. Not that uh, we knew that they knew. That's just been revealed by a um, Argentine priest disclosing the Vatican had documents on the abusive conduct of the disgraced founder of the Legionnaires of Christ, from as long ago as... Oh, sorry, he's a Brazilian cardinal, not an Argentine. Brazilian Cardinal Joao, that would have been the clue, Bras de Avis. Those who covered it up were a mafia. They were not the church, he says, according to a Spanish Catholic online magazine. He didn't give any more details about the documents. So we're still kind of in the dark, but the Vatican knew, according to a priest, except they were a mafia. The nuns, well, the nuns aren't... uh, aren't so running free from uh, abuse either. The Vatican has long been aware of nuns sexually abused by priests and bishops in Africa, uh, sorry, Asia, yes, Africa, Europe, and South America, has done very little to stop it. The AP reported that last year. Now the AP has investigated the situation in India. There's that India again, and uncovered a decades-long history of nuns enduring sexual abuse from within the church. They detailed sexual pressure they endured from priests. Nearly two dozen nuns, former nuns and priests and others, said they had direct knowledge of such incidents. And the problem is cloaked by a powerful culture of silence. Shh! Oh, I didn't hear anything. Many nuns believe abuse is commonplace, insisting most sisters can at least tell of fending off a priest's sexual advances. Some believe it is rare. Almost none talk about it readily. Most speak on condition. They not be identified. Sister Nobody said that. 
Over the past four months, Catholic dioceses across the U.S. have raised the name, released the names of more than 1,000 priests and others accused of sexually abusing children. Nearly 50 dioceses and religious orders have publicly identified child-molesting priests in the wake of a Pennsylvania report. This is according to the AP. People saw what happened in these parishes in Pennsylvania. They said that happened in my parish, too. The accusations date back six or seven decades, the oldest from the 1910s in Louisiana. Okay. And as U.S. bishops gather for a week-long retreat this week for prayer and reflection related to the clergy sexual abuse crisis, Francis the Talking Pope sent a strongly worded letter hoping they take steps to combat the culture of abuse and to deal with the crisis of credibility. We shall see. News of the Godly, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now, the Apologies of the Week. A British hospital has apologized after sensitive voicemail messages left by patients were overheard by a man who had called in trying to change an appointment over the phone. He reported he heard recordings of people sharing personal information with the Manchester, not Manchester, Royal Eye Hospital this week. The issue on the telephone line has been rectified and an investigation into the incident is being carried out. How do you fix it without doing an investigation first? Ask the hospital. U.S. Strategic Command, the unified military force that controls the launch of nuclear weapons is all, tweeted an unusual New Year's message, New Year's Eve message, featuring B-2 bombers dropping conventional weapons at a test range. Tradition brings in the new year by dropping the big ball. If ever needed, we're ready to drop something much, much bigger. The post later deleted included a sizzle reel showing a B-2 bomber dropping a pair of conventional massive ordnance penetrators, your MOPs, at a test range. The bombs are conventional, not nuclear. The tweet served to be a bit threatening. A strategic command spokesperson told CNN the post is part of our recap of command priorities. But later, strategic command tweeted, our previous New Year's Eve tweet was in poor taste and does not reflect our values. We apologize. Their values will be supplied in a subsequent statement. This week's Facebook apology goes to evangelist Franklin Graham for Facebook's 24-hour ban on his post two years ago on North Carolina's bathroom law. That post focused on Bruce Springsteen canceling a North Carolina concert because of the state's law. Facebook has restored the post and will apologize in a note to the administrator of Graham's Facebook page. He doesn't do it himself. Bernie Sanders said this week he was not aware of the sexual harassment and pay disparity allegations during his 2016 presidential campaign and apologized to, quote, any woman who feels like she was not treated appropriately. The New York Times crossword puzzle editor apologized after the word beaner was used as the answer to a New Year's Day puzzle clue of pitch to the head informally. A beanball is a term used for hitting a player in the head with a baseball. Beaner is considered a disrespectful term to those of Hispanic origin. The Times crossword puzzle editor Will Shorts wrote on Twitter that he, neither he nor the puzzle's author, quote, had ever heard the slur before, unquote. They didn't grow up in Southern California. Tiffany Haddish apologized for her New Year's Eve performance this week. An Instagram influencer, Colleen Grady, has apologized and deleted her account after making a viral post in which she expressed her surprise that someone in a, quote, scammy Indian city would return her lost iPhone. India is big in the news this week. 
And Penn State coach Pat Chambers issued an apology. I guess he's a football coach. After uh, he pushed freshman Miles Dredd during a timeout in the middle of the Nittany Lions game against Michigan. Well, it could be basketball. It doesn't say. I absolutely love Miles Dredd. I apologize to him. So he loves Miles Dredd, and he apologizes. The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen, copyrighted feature of this very broadcast. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time on these radio stations. And whenever you want it, on your other audio device of choice. And it would just be like everybody loving Miles Dread. If you'd agree to join with me then, would you? All right, thank you very much. Uh-huh. Tip of the show, the show, chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Hawaii desks. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead and to Thomas Walsh here at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's program. The email address for this thing, a playlist of the music you hear here, and your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts just in time for the uh, Martin Luther King birthday holiday, all at harryshearer.com. And me, I'm on Twitter, at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from the Crescent City.